What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Linder, and today is kind of a wild day in macro. We're going to take a look at a bunch of macro charts, at least the stuff that I follow. I follow currencies, of course, Bitcoin, commodities, interest rates, things like that. So we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into the charts. Then there's a couple articles that I want to that I thought would be good to read through at least one uh, about JP Morgan and how they're valuing Bitcoin. And then there's a new podcast out there on ramp. We will probably look at a clip from them because I think it's a learning opportunity for us. But anyway, welcome to the show. Let's share my screen. And what you're going to see here is the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Quick break in here, guys, on the edit. All of these charts and everything that I'm talking about will be on the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com, under the associated post. This one will be, this one is episode 349, so bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E349. Let's get on with it. I did publish yesterday two pieces of content. The first one was gold versus Bitcoin. You might have listen to my most recent podcast episode or, or live stream. I think I did that one on Sunday this last week. And in that debate, I broke down a debate of gold versus Bitcoin. And I had a bunch of different topic, a bunch of different like critiques. And at the end of that episode, I like listed five or six things. I said, well, you know, it might be good just to do a series of posts about these because these are very commonly heard critiques from the gold bug side against Bitcoin. So I wanted to put start putting these into po blog posts. And that's what I've done here. And the first one is on the claim of the 5,000 year history of gold. So uh, you can check that out. It's initially available to paid members on BitcoinandMarkets.com. You know, they support my content and I can't do this show without their support. So they get the first few days of that, of each post and then I'll make it public here. Also the market pro, you can see that's the premium content that I do tons and tons of charts. Uh, we're going to go through not as in depth in this live stream. Uh, so if you want more in depth in Bitcoin itself, then with the confirmation from the macro side, you know, so I have, I go through my Bitcoin charts and my Bitcoin forecasts, and then I look at macro and see if that confirms what I'm seeing in Bitcoin. Uh, so check that out, Market Pro over on Bitcoin and markets.com. Okay, let's dive into the charts. What you're seeing here is the Bitcoin chart with the 50 day, the 128 day, and I use that 128 day because it's been very accurate. Uh, Tone Vase, this is his one of his favorite periods uh, to on his moving averages. This is very similar to the 200 day and the 128 and the 50. These are the big ones that he looks at, but this is uh, really got close to this bottom here just recently back on the 25th of May. And now today we are selling off. Let's take a quick zoom down to the hourly. And you can see that Pretty much midnight Eastern time last night is when we had the big dip, but it has not continued to fall. It's it's showing some strength here. Let's go back to the daily. And 
yeah, I am expecting this zone to hold. I don't think we are going to see much lower prices. Of course, we could go a little bit lower, but there would have to be some fundamental massive shakeup in the market for any dip to be sustained at this point. The, the obvious path is higher for Bitcoin. It's held support. Uh, it's really entered this bull market. Uh, we are having continued bullish headlines from um, even the mainstream financial press, which you'll see here in a second. So Bitcoin is short of a collapse, kind of like the COVID collapse or something. Bitcoin's going higher at this point. It's just a matter of where we bounce. And as more people come to that realization, you know, that's when the price really starts moving higher. So I am kind of sick of the prices at this level. Where How long have we been here? Since March 17th is when we were at these levels for the first time this year. Um, while the S&P 500 is making new highs, let's take a look at that now. Let's go to stocks and zoom out a little bit. We still are having higher highs and higher lows. This is the most hated rally probably in stock market history. Everybody to have a recession. It's the most anticipation in history. Yet we continue to make new highs here, especially on the year and going all the way back to last August. Uh, this is just this is not how it looks leading into a recession, folks. So go back and look at the history of the stock market. Look at how the stock market acts going into recession. And it does not look like this, especially if we put on the moving averages here. We'll put on the 200-day and the 50-day. And I'll take this 128-day off. That's Bitcoin. And this is a golden cross back here in February. We don't get a golden cross leading directly into a recession. It doesn't happen in history. Like I've talked about in on recent streams, it has happened once in the last... Uh, what would that be? 60 years. And that was in 1990. So yes, this could be an aberration, but that was also a bull cross at an all-time high, then leading into recession. We're at a bull cross coming off of a bear market, going back into yes, reestablishing the bull market, making new uh, almost 52-week highs. Uh, we are making 52-week highs on the NASDAQ if we pull that up. This just doesn't happen in right before a recession. So take that for what it's worth. I mean, there is a first time it could be different, but most likely it's not going to be. Okay, let's take a look at oil. This is one of my favorite proxies for global recession. And I do think, let me clarify. <laughs> so I do think that we're going to have a global recession. Okay. But I, I think the U.S. could skirt recession, perhaps even avoid it altogether. While we see numbers coming out of Germany, which I'll probably cover on tomorrow's FedWatch with Bitcoin Magazine, uh, they are already in recession. And then you have numbers that you can't really trust out of China, but most likely China is in even worse shape than Germany. So um, yes, I think we're going into a global recession, but that does not necessarily mean the U.S. is going to also have a hard recession. It's all about relative strength and weaknesses. If the U.S. looks like it's relatively strong, there's going to be money flowing into the U.S. dollar and into U.S. dollar denominated assets, into the stock market. 
and even into Bitcoin. And so we could see the U.S. stock market outperform. Outperform the rest of the world for sure. And perhaps even outperform expectations in the U.S. market. What, one of the things, and I know we're staring at this uh, oil chart here, but uh, one of the things that I've been talking about is that recession um, in this, okay, the recovery slash slowdown, whatever you want to call it, because we are still recovering from COVID, um, even though we had that initial kind of inflationary type bounce um, with all the stimulus and all of that. And now we're, we've come off of that. We're still kind of recovering. The global economy is from the global shutdown in 2020, the knock-on effects from the supply chains. And then you had the Ukraine war uh, starting last year. And so we have all of those knock-on supply effects of the sanctions and things. So, um, you know, we're still kind of in recovery. And in this era, the only thing they can do, right, is pump credit. They can pump the credit bubble higher. They can keep it from deflating because they can um, take over SVB. They can take over Credit Suisse. They can take over First Republic, make everybody whole, patch it over, right, and then try to keep inflating. But the, what they can't get is sustained growth. What they can't get is a return to normalcy, a return to a vibrant market. So yes, while it's going to feel really recessionary, it's going to feel like a depression. And it, it has felt like a depression personally for 12 years. Okay. I think we are, we started a silent depression in the year 2008. Shout out to Emil Kalinowski because that was what he termed it and pointed out. I do agree with that. But the characteristic of this depression is zero growth, okay? Low growth and low inflation. That's what we're returning to. And anyway, so the rest of the world, they are going to experience worse recession than the U.S. And what we're seeing here in the oil chart, Jesus Christ, that was a long introduction to this oil chart. What we're seeing in this oil chart is a continued sell-off down back below $70 a barrel. Um, it looks atrocious let's bring up or let's go the weekly and actually bring up the 200 week moving average because somebody on twitter pointed this out and so i just wanted to point this out to you guys we are testing that 200 week moving average for the third time and you know the more you test the levels the, the less support is there each time you test it you eat through some of those bids that would be around that level so this could continue to fall opec is out there claiming they're going to make another production cut and but i don't think that's coming anytime soon if you look back here at the other production cuts of opec the market knew the market could could ferret this out and they could see that in september last week of september first week of october last year we had a, a sizable jump before the announcement of the supply cuts or the production cuts. Then in April, same thing, two weeks of green candles before the April cut was announced. But here we're not seeing anything. The reason for that, or the reason for the green candles is because people, there's insiders, you know, the insiders know what's happening.
Hold on one second. Sorry, my son is coming inside, in and out the front door, right by my office. If you guys are seeing behind me, I'm still working on this office. I'm doing this DIY, bookshelves and stuff. So hopefully in the next couple months, you'll see me fit it out with some more better background for my videos and things. But okay, so that is the, that's oil. What else do we want to take a, take a look at? Let's take a look at the dollar and go back to the daily. So we have seen a pretty good jump in the dollar. Uh, we have this double bottom Adam and Eve making a run back up for the 200-day moving average. And everything looks go. Same thing it, as I was saying there on the oil chart is low growth, low inflation. And the other currencies are going to be hurting worse than the U.S. And so the U.S. will get a bid relative to other fiat currencies. Yes. Okay. But it's still going to get stronger. And what happens when the dollar gets stronger? Dollar denominated debt gets more burdensome. Gets harder to pay. Takes up more. It takes a larger amount of revenue. It takes up a larger amount of your budget to service a stronger dollar debt. So as the dollar goes up, that's the dollar wrecking ball. You know, it's it starts sucking value out of the global economy because the debt burden goes up. All right, so that's the dollar. But another one that uh, I thought was interesting here is also over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a uh, precipitous decline in the Chinese yuan. This is CNY. And you can see as this chart goes up, that means the yuan is weakening and the dollar is strengthening. And right now we're back over seven, which for a long period of time, that was an important level. Let's see if I can zoom out. Seven time. A lot of the international guys working over there out of China said seven was always on people's radar screens. That was back several years ago. Uh, but let's see. Let's see how high this can get to back here in October, uh, November of last year. It hit a high of, or the yuan hit a low of 7.32 versus the dollar. We'll see if it goes back there. They have done a huge expansion in credit recently, and they have closed capital accounts. So like everybody talks about de-dollarization and how they think that the dollar will get stuck in the U.S. economy. Right. And that will cause it, quote unquote, inflation or debasement of the dollar at home because we can't export our inflation. Well, what about China? I mean, China, their amount of printing that they do domestically is insane and they have by policy a closed capital account so all of that inflation has to be stewing around in their own economy that or they're burning it <laughs> you know they're just burning it but th this most likely the, the yuan is going to have a very poor performance against the dollar in the next little while and that doesn't even factor into this dxy the dollar chart because the, this is against just the major currencies and CNY is not considered a major internationalized currency because it's not. It's 1% or less of global usage, uh, global transactions, uh, cross-border payments, I guess they would say cross-border transactions. And they even count China to Hong Kong transactions in there. 
Um, so it gets to be about 1%. Uh, the Chinese yuan is not a major currency. And it's not weighted against the dollar in the DXY. It is in the broad trade-weighted dollar. Let's pull that up. This is the broad trade-weighted dollar that does include about, I think it's 12 to 13% weighting against the CMY. Um, but yeah, so that's all my talk about those currencies. Let's take a look at gold. Support here for the gold price. It did make a new recent all-time high, like I have said has come back down, tested some levels. I think it, this was the 200-day moving average, if I'm not mistaken. 100-day. So it was the tested the 100-day average on horizontal support from back here. So if it's going to find support, it's going to find support right here and go higher. Of course, my kind of thesis for a very long time, for the last 18 months has been that, well, not 18 months, I would say the last, let's see, what month is this? <laughs> May? Still May. So the last 12 months or so, uh, I was saying that 2023 was going to be symbolized by bullish Bitcoin, gold, stocks, and bonds. Everything that went down in 2022 was going to go up in 2023. We've seen that with Bitcoin now. We've seen that with stocks. We've seen that with uh, gold. Let's take a look at bonds using the 10-year treasury as proxy. And remember, price of bonds goes up as yields go down. And 2023 started about, let's put a little, let's measure this out here. So here's where the year started. And so far, the 10-year is, I mean, the yield is down 5%. So let's just say it, it's one-to-one -one relation to the price. So it is up 5%. So that, that is the case. So far, all of those calls have been go, uh, you know, doing well. And it looks like the 10-year is coming back to this gray box, which has been what I'm calling an equilibrium type spot where anything above that is um, money is getting a little bit looser and anything below that money is getting tighter. So we're headed back into that box right now. Okay, let's go back to the Bitcoin chart and then I'm going to head to um, this one. Now this is, I believe it's on-ramp, man. I should double check what this is. Forget the name of the podcast now, but it's a brand new podcast with Marty Bent. You guys probably know what it is. Um, and I don't mean to pick on anybody here because I like Marty Bent. I don't know these other two guys, but Dylan McClare, great guy, great commentator, super, super sharp young kid or not kid, young man. And uh, so, yeah, let's take a look at this. Make sure I'm sharing the audio. Let's go back. I'm going to stop sharing, reshare, and make sure I'm sharing the audio. And for guys on Telegram, you'll, that clip, it's the same clip that I shared in Telegram there just a minute ago. All right, let's go. And so, as we go through this massive bubble and 
maybe a bust and the Fed is forced to step in, do you guys see institutional investors, people with a lot of money, recognizing Bitcoin as a much preferable store of value when it, when compared to real estate? Or maybe not answer maybe we don't have to answer that question, but maybe we can put forth the value prop of Bitcoin as a better store of value when compared to real estate. Yeah, I think I like to take just kind of like the the maybe like the left bell curve side of the left side of the bell curve approach where it's like, you know, a lot of like the macro guys will get kind of really in the weeds and be like, it's not money printing, it's an asset, it's an asset swap, it's not it's not yield curve control, it's only the Fed, you know, valuing bonds at par value and, and lending against them, right? Like, well, you know, it, it's it's like, no, it's, it's all just balance sheet expansion or not, right? All right. So is he talking about me? <laughs> uh, I know Dylan. Uh, met him a couple times now in person too, actually. And yeah, so I I don't know if he's talking about me, but I'm, I'm the one that says, hey, this is just asset swaps. I mean, my question to Dylan would be, is a million dollar injection okay if you add a million dollars to the asset side of your balance sheet and a million dollars to the liability side of your balance sheet is that the same as adding a million dollars to the asset side only of course not what they're doing what you call printing money is putting an asset and a lie offsetting liability on their balance sheet and yes that is balance sheet expansion but is that expansionary? Is that inflationary? Maybe. Maybe it is. I'll tell you what definitely would be inflationary and actual money printing would be if they only added assets. So uh, I don't know. He didn't. Uh, let me play the rest of this. So the last, you know, what is it? 18 months of the last 15 months of, of quantitative tightening from the Fed has been somewhat just offset by the Treasury general account draining to zero. Uh, and now we're at a point where they can't really kick that can. The debt limit is where, I mean, we're there, right? And so if, when the debt limit gets passed, I mean, right now it's just all political theater. Let's be real. So it's all just political theater and the debt limit. I don't really want to mention on that other than they did, I think it looks like they did pass a debt, a debt limit extension or, you know, raising the debt limit. So there's that, but the, he didn't touch on real estate. What I would say about real estate is yes, that there is a portion of real estate. Of course it is real estate is a good that you actually consume. So there is a value placed on actually having a roof over your head. Okay. But there's also a separate portion of the property of your house. And that is the function of store of value. So it's not like Bitcoin is going to make the real estate market crash. It could just like gold, it could just simply siphon off marginal new demand. So instead of the real estate bubble getting out of hand, you know, maybe instead of people um, going into a little bit higher house than they can afford or whatever, they're going to buy Bitcoin instead. The marginal player. I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying first it'll start with one out of a thousand. Then it will go to five out of a thousand. Then it will go to one out of a hundred. 
you know, and as that happens, real estate will slowly lose its store value function into Bitcoin. Absolutely. 100%. Now, what part is the, what part of real estate market or value is store value function? That is anybody's guess. Um, most homes I would say today are overvalued by at least double. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to ask my guys on telegram what you think about that, but it is one of the least affordable times to buy a house right now. Now, if rates can crash back down to, you know, 2% for a, a 30 year mortgage, homes become very affordable again. So we're not very affordable, but much more affordable. So what percent of the, the value of a home is store value? That's anybody's guess. And, but there are certain ways that you could figure it out. I just haven't looked into it. I know Bitcoin magazine has done several posts on this. Um, so you can check out Bitcoin magazine's coverage on this because this is a common question that started way back, maybe like in 2016 or 17. Um, People were talking more about this, that the store value function is going to be first. So Bitcoin could take a lot of different stores of value, not just gold, not just the dollar, uh, but it could be real estate, could be fine art. I think that will continue. But getting back real quick to Dylan's thing here on um, the money printing aspect. If you're new to my content, okay, I am a deflation. I sit on the deflation camp. I don't think QE is money printing. Now, fis fiscal stimulus is it. Well, itself is not technically money printing because they're borrowing money that already exists. But by taking savings and spending it immediately, you distort the market, you distort prices and people will act, you know, it'll heat up the economy People will act a little bit more confident. People will act a little bit more, you know, like the economy is booming and they'll go out there, get loans and print money that way. That's what they hope to uh, happen when they do stimulus like that. So that does have an inflationary secondary effect, but the initial borrowing of money by the government is not inflationary. It's only that secondary effect of confidence building stimulus, uh, short-term stimulus. Uh, but the Fed expanding their balance sheet is not money printing. What, how that is supposed to work is it is supposed to bolster the bank's balance sheets, you know, take quote unquote toxic assets off of their balance sheet. That's why it started with mortgage backed securities and agency securities, but Mainly, it's always been treasuries. I don't know why they would take the pristine of the pristine collateral off of banks' balance sheets because that, you know, is uh, not going to affect their, uh, like, capital ratios or it's not going to affect their balance sheet performance or anything like that. But anyway, it's supposed to bolster the bank's feeling of the, either the Fed has their back and or make their balance sheet look good. So then they go out and lend money. And that lending of money is actually the money printing. So no, the, the Fed is 
by law forbidden from printing money. All they can do is an asset swap. They know that's exactly what they're doing. And anybody that says it's it's money printing and that it's just expansion of the balance sheet is not thinking, you know, two, three steps into this process. Yes, the numbers get bigger on the balance sheet, but that doesn't mean anything. Er, later on in the show, Dylan says something about um, that. Oh, what was, oh, Lord, what was it? I was going to say something about, hold on, can I, can I fish it out of there? Ah, I lost my train of thought, so I can't remember that. But okay, that's it. Uh, again, I really like Dylan's stuff. I think he uh, does extremely good content. He's sharp, smarter than I am, uh, especially at his age. He has more going on, uh, more understanding of the market than I definitely did at his age. So anyways, let's move on to this story and that is jp morgan reveals 900 billion gold-based implied bitcoin price and i won't even read the second half of that <laughs> so let's go into this the bitcoin price doubled from around fifteen thousand per bitcoin late last year to over thirty thousand in april however serious regulatory fears especially in the u.s have weighed on prices with some even warning President Joe Biden could kill Bitcoin and crypto. He can't kill Bitcoin people. That This is an example of how the altcoins have been a detriment. And I have gone back and forth with people in the space. The, some of the people I respect the most in the space, I have differing opinions to. So nobody, please take this as like, uh, you know, an attack on anybody. But I have always said that this is, not everything is good for bitcoin but we 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 have to separate altcoins and bitcoin that they are a net negative okay and this this is why because people like forbes can write an article that says joe biden could kill bitcoin and crypto now he could kill crypto but crypto is not bitcoin let me bring that damn meme up here guys this is the meme that I started off last or this week's fundamentals report with crypto. Bitcoin is not inside crypto. Crypto is inside fiat. Bitcoin is the reality. It's the unique special thing outside of the system. Okay, let's continue with this because I could go on for days on these tangents. Now, as Bitcoin, Ethereum and crypto traders brace for a $1.1 trillion market upheaval. Strategists at Wall Street giant JP Morgan have issued a bullish gold-based Bitcoin price prediction that could see the Bitcoin's capitalization climb to near nine, or oh, sorry, to near 900 billion. It's at the beginning of a bull run. You need up-to-date, oh, jeez. I don't want to read that. That's just ads. Forbes, come on now. Quote, with the gold price rising above 2000 the value of gold held for investment purposes outside central banks is currently valued at around $3 trillion. Okay, I'm going to make a mental note of that. Outside of central banks. That's very interesting. Um, JP Morgan analysts led by Nicholas P. wrote in a note seen by the block in turn oh god dude 
I'm having trouble with this, guys. In turn, this implies $45,000 price for Bitcoin under the assumption that Bitcoin equalizes gold in private investors' portfolio in risk capital or volume-adjusted terms. Bitcoin's upcoming so-called halving, which will see the number of new Bitcoins issued to miners cut by half from the current block reward of 6.25 Bitcoins to just 3.125 Bitcoin, and is currently scheduled for April next year. It's not scheduled. It's currently estimated to happen, but okay. Is expected to double the production costs of a new Bitcoin to around 40000 according to JP Morgan, setting a potential Bitcoin price floor. Quote, this is because Bitcoin's production cost has historically acted as an effective lower bound, JP Morgan's researchers wrote. Indeed, the previous halving events of 2016 and 2020 were accompanied by a bullish trajectory for Bitcoin prices that had accelerated post the halving event. All right, this is pretty big coming out of Forbes. It's obviously a big mainstream financial press type thing talking about a $900 billion Bitcoin market cap. So very good. Bullish, bullish. All right, guys. Well, get back here to BitcoinandMarkets.com. Please sign up over there on BitcoinMarkets.com. It's free to get the weekly newsletter. Uh, if you want to support the show, that's how I keep the lights on here. Um, also, I forgot to mention this, uh, the June uh, price prediction. So my community here, on mainly on Telegram right now, we do a price forecast every month. And now I'm moving this onto the website for members. So if you want to participate in a monthly forecast competition, closest person to the closing price at the end of the month gets is going to get a $20 reward in sats, paid in sats over the Lightning Network. So check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. There's a lot of different ways that you can have fun with the community, support the community, take part, all that. Uh, appreciate everybody. So, all right, that's it for today. And I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye.